Oh, it's good to have all of you with us on this Mother's Day and really excited to be able to uh, spend this together as a church family. And uh, we know that uh, from all kinds of different backgrounds, people come today from those who are mothers, those who couldn't be mothers, wanted to be those who are um, in different places in their life. And we're just grateful you're all with us today. About a week ago, I had the opportunity to visit a young couple who has been attending our church lately, and I went to the hospital to visit them. They had a little baby. And as you know, babies, um, they decide when it's time to come, right? You know, they, they, it's up to them. They make the choice, and they show up. And this little one entered the world three weeks early. He made his debut prematurely and so they had this little child just a you know almost a month early and so i went to the hospital and i checked the room where they were to be in and and they weren't there and so i asked one of the nurses behind the desk if they she might know where they're at and she said well they're probably in the nursery she said let me go check and see if they're up for a visit so she went in and i waited a second she came back in she said yep they're they're open to you know come on back in and so i come in this room and i walk through this door and i go through one set of doors in this little room here and it, you, you kind of stand in this isolation room and and then there's another door and this is like top secret real important stuff going into the nursery I, I, just a few weeks ago some of you remember when peter kapsner spoke i was with a bunch of my college buddies we get together We've done it for like 15 years where we get together for a weekend. And normally we do one new thing. And so last year we went surfing. This year they all said, let's go to a shooting range and fire at Glocks. So, you know, none of us had done that. We go and I, I go through a door. I stand in another little room and there's another door to go in. And this, when you go into this room, you're wearing head protective gear because your whole body reverberates with every one of these shots. Well, my experience in this little room in the hospital as I wait and I move into that little nursery, it's you walk in and it's quiet, really quiet. And I walk over and here behind a curtain is the mother and I believe she's trying to nurse her baby and I see the dad and I give him a hug. I say, how you doing? It's great. And we talk for a few moments and then all of a sudden uh, another nurse comes in by some special title, not really sure what the title is, but... Um, she's one who knows all things maternal. That's all I can think is the title. And she asks us, you know, why don't you guys leave for a few moments as she's going to teach all things maternal to this mother. And anyway, we walk out, and, and since it's premature, they put us in what they now in the same room, but it's really now called a boarding room. So we go to the boarding room, and I'm sitting here with this father, and we're just chatting for about 20 minutes, and I'm thinking to myself, what's with this picture? Moms with baby, we're sitting here talking. And it just was so, it kind of hit me. Moms have a special relationship with babies, with their children, that dads know nothing about. There's something significant about that. I mean, think about it for a second. You, you never hear that you're to be careful when you go into the wild. You know, when you go into the wild, you never hear um, you don't want to separate a father from his cubs, right? Yeah, I mean, you might hear something more like don't make the father, you know, don't, uh, don't, don't get the father mad um, by interrupting a nap or don't, you know, get between him and his food. Or you might hear don't take the remote. Um, or I think about it when I'm with, with dads a lot of times. We'll talk about sports. We'll talk about um, our jobs. We'll actually even talk about our marriages. But, you know, ask women what they talk about, moms, when they're together. About their kids. 
nonstop. When you watch TV and you watch, you know, like these hockey finals or the high school football and you see these people line up and they pan in and zoom in on the camera, whether it's professional sports and they're grown men, they zoom in and what do they say? Yeah, you don't hear a lot of high dads. Once in a while, a girlfriend gets lucky, right? But there is just a special bond between a mother and a child. And God designed that bond. In fact, what I want us to look at is this uniqueness for a moment of this kind of compassion and love that is shared between a mother and a child, which really mirrors the kind of love that God himself has for his children. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, there's a very interesting, in chapter 30, there's an interesting passage of Scripture after um, Moses gives the law again and sets out again for the people how much God loves them. He gets to chapter 30 and he says this. He says, you know, at a certain point you're going to forget and you're going to go astray and you're going to rebel. And at that point you're going to experience the consequences of your choices, which means you'll be thrown out of the blessing and the goodness, really the land that God has given you. And so in verse 1 of chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, it says, When all these blessings and curses I set before you come on you and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart, with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, listen to this, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes, which really means bring you back to the land where all that goodness is and have and, and this is what i want you to know compassion on you and gather you again from the nations where he scattered you you see in the old testament we we don't realize when you come to the book of genesis chapter one there's two creation stories the first creation story talks about god creating he creates man or mankind he he's not there isn't man and woman at this time it says that god created man in his image both male and female Residing in that first man was both this identity of male and female, and then God separates because of loneliness. But what we understand about this is in God himself, he is both male and female. He is completely one in this way. And there is a real sense that God understands more than you even understand or I understand that he is filled with the compassion that is found in the uniqueness of a mother's love. He has that kind of love for you and me. In fact, this word is a very interesting word. In Hebrew, it's the word raham. And if you say it, the, the second syllable, you almost have to spit, raham. And, and that word, the root word, actually comes from the word womb. The word raham, its root is womb. It, it, over time, that word came to mean the kind of compassion that naturally springs forth from the guts, from the depths of a mom. And so you can read this word throughout Scripture. Theological word book of the Old Testament, which studies these words, says it's a deep love, usually when it's used of a superior to an inferior, rooted in some natural bond. The most natural and deepest, it goes on to say, being that of a mother to a newborn or to a child. Isaiah uses it of a mother's love toward nursing her baby. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 15 through 16, gives you a flavor of this word. When, when you read Isaiah saying, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion, that word, on the child she is born? Though she may forget, 
Listen to this. God saying, though she may even forget, which is really hard to believe that a mother could actually turn away from her little baby, though she may forget, God says, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Every time I look at my hand, I think of you. When God has conversation with people and he gets together with the Son and the Spirit, they talk about their children. That's how deep this compassionate maternal love is. There's two ideas that I want to just share with you briefly, and then we'll look at some practical insights of how you can apply this in your own life. But the two ideas of this word is that God's love, like a mother's love, forms life. The womb. Just take that. The idea of the womb. And in the womb is this forming of life. God is building, strengthening, creating life. Six times in this chapter 30, the word chai, you've heard lachaim for life. This word life is used. It's in a sense God is saying, just like pregnancy in the womb is an example of a life-forming experience where life is generated and formed and through it matured so that at a certain point there is given birth and in this birth, This being is born into independence, a kind of independent dependency, right? The womb is that kind of forming life experience. Parenting is a a womb kind of experience as well. It's meant to be parents around children, moms around children. It is this kind of protective time and care of a child where it is in this forming of life where the child is protected and nurtured and fed and cared for and trained And developed in order, it comes to the point, the whole idea is that it will be born into maturity, into a sense that it can independently live, independent on others. That's the kind of love, it's this maternal kind of love that God has for you, that he wants in you, that he's seeking to do through his life in you. He's seeking for each and every one of us. He gives us womb-like experiences so that we will be born into new levels, a new experience of his life with him. I just think that's exciting. That's how much God loves us. Israel as a nation gives you this picture. It is generated and formed in the womb of Egypt. It's bound, confined in slavery, so to speak, in the womb of Egypt. It's this family of Abraham is born and the nation of Israel is born out of Egypt and is set free through the breaking of the waters of the Red Sea and is trained as a child on the Ten Commandments. Just in basic, here's what you do. And then fed and nurtured by God through the wilderness so that it comes to a point where it can be brought into maturity and can walk into the land of promise, which means it can begin to know because its character is formed in such a way that it can walk in the blessing of God. That's God's intention for you. That's God's intention for me. Just like a mom. That kind of maternal compassion and love. God's love is also like a mother that calls us back to life. That's what you particularly see in chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. Here is God who has been forming and maturing and he's brought these people now into the land and he's saying, now that you're mature and you're on your own, what happens sometimes, and I've experienced it, we all experience in our pride and our own selfishness, we begin to say, well, I can handle this. God, thanks so much for getting us here. And you start to do things and you get going on your own and eventually you forget about God. You forget about the things God has done in your life. And as you become prosperous, you begin to move into your own self. Eventually you go astray, you rebel, you turn your back, you find the choices that you make, create the consequences that God has to, in a sense, he cuts off blessing. The choices you make cut off that blessing. And the love of God is like a mother's who calls back. 
God is like that. We think He's mad, He's angry, oh man, we just blew it. But God's love is compassionately calling us to return back into the life that He wants us to have and experience. And some of you may be there right now. And God is calling to you and saying, you know what, you've lived enough through the consequences of your own choices. You've experienced the bitterness and the curses and all these things that come. And He's saying, I'm trying you back. Seven times in Hebrew, this chapter, the, the, the word shuv, which means to return, or some derivative of it is used. This idea that God's mercy and forgiveness in the face of deserved judgment, as well as His mercy and grace preserving unrepentant sinful people from judgment. Can you imagine that? Here is God who is loving, who is waiting, who is calling as we go astray and we keep running from Him. Jeremiah thirty-one twenty is one of the best passages that explains this. It reveals the character of God, the, the kind of maternal love of God when a person strays, when his whole nation as his son strays. Withholding and holding back this final judgment, he continues to call them, and he longs for this child of his to return. And he says in verse 20, O Ephraim, which is the largest of that tribe, O Ephraim is my dear, dear son, my child in whom I take pleasure. Every time, listen to this, doesn't sound like a mom, every time I mention his name, my heart bursts with longing for him. Everything in me cries out for him, softly and tenderly. I wait for him. Reminds me of that hymn, softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling. It's this maternal love that allows for difficulties and says you've grown and I have to let you go. I have to put up boundaries. At times you say, I'm sorry, I can't give you any more money. I can't do this more, anymore from you. This, this son, like the prodigal, has to run. And in that running, the father, just like that maternal love of the father, is calling out and waiting. And the mother waits, calling us back. I remember my, my grandmother, she would tell us stories. And I, when I had this great experience to be around my grandmother and have her influence in my life. And I just have to say, some of you are grandmas. You have a special place in the lives of your grandkids. Don't ever think you don't. And I remember she, she would bring me, um, to, we'd, I'd be at her house when I was at college, and I'd go over there to have a, a really good meal, you know. And she would often tell me about how she would pray for my uncle, who um, was really a bit rebellious in his teenage years. And my uncle Don is now 76 years of age. And I was thinking about this. I thought, you know, I'll email him and see if he would just share with me a couple stories, you know, so that he could maybe share those things. And, you know, he was a businessman and, and was very successful. And, and so I write him this, and he, he writes me back simply to the point like a businessman would. Kevin, if your question is, do a mother's prayer matter? For me, the answer is absolutely yes. I knew my mother prayed for me every night I was out with those guys. I'm certain her prayers kept me from walking away from the Lord. She was a special lady who knew the power of prayer. Regards, Don. <laughs> Mom, some of you know what this means. You've invested so much of your life. And as you see your kids get older and you see them stray and you see them move away and your heart just cries out at every mention of their name and you like this grandmother my grandmother cry out and pray for your son and then you hear years later i knew my mother prayed for me every night i was out i'm certain her prayers kept me from walking away from the lord do her prayers matter yes the point of all this passage in Deuteronomy 30, from Deuteronomy all the way to this chapter 30, from beginning to end, is, is about God's incredible love, the power of His love. 
It's not our love that for God that changes us. We so often think, well, if I just love God enough, it's not our love for God that changes us and gives us life and draws us back to life. It is the compassionate, womb-like, maternal love of God that forms and nurtures and calls us and draws us and matures us. And we are often so confused. We get taught, I think, wrong things. We think wrong things because of our own sinful nature. We think that if we love God, then we'll change. Or that in loving God, we are changed. But we are missing the entire point of this passage. And all of Deuteronomy, it is God's maternal love that causes us to experience Him in this womb-like experience and causes, causes us to experience Him as He calls out to us even as we turn away from Him. That continually as it calls, we eventually go, I, I've got to, I come to my senses. And I respond and return to God. You see, due to our self-reliance and pride, we get so easily mixed up. God doesn't love us when we change, but rather, as Richard Rohr says, it is when we, we fall into the great generosity of God's love that you find seemingly from nowhere this capacity to change. I just want to tell you, if you want to change, you want to grow, you want to come back, it's all about falling into the capacity of this incredible God who loves you. And when you begin to experience His love, and He fills you up with your love, and you begin to have a soft heart towards Him, you begin to listen to Him, you begin to hear Him, you begin to hear His heart, and you want to have that heart in you, and you begin to respond to Him. That's called obedience. And that kind of response to His love changes your heart, the same kind of love that calls a child back. And there's just something really powerful about a mom's love. It often models the life-giving, life-drawing love of God. So I want to share with you a few ways that we can actually be compassionate people and, and experience and, and share that compassion with others. And the first is, I just want you to know, we all can be life-givers. This isn't just a sermon, a message from mothers. Compassion, raham, in the Hebrew is used infrequently Of the 47 times, 12 times it's used of men. Men have this ability to experience this incredible gut-level compassion. When Jesus stood out and looked around the crowd and he saw them harassed and helpless and saw them hungry, it says that he felt such compassion in his gut, his womb, so to speak. He was so pregnant with the love and life of God that he said, "Let's, let's feed them. And God did a miracle through him. Whenever you and your gut are are called by God, you experience His love and you respond to His love, I can promise you God will do blessings and cause blessings and will even result in miracles in the lives of other people. If you are open to His love and you let His love fill you up and you respond to His love and to His voice. It happens for all people who want to be life-givers, the kind of life-giving compassion God says is open to everyone. I was reading um, this blog for the childless woman on Mother's Day from a lady named Vanita Hampton Wright. And she was sharing the pain of attending Mother's Day services and how difficult it was for her because at one point in the service she had been pregnant and she stood up when all the moms were recognized and then two weeks later she lost her baby and she was never able to get pregnant again. She just talked about how difficult it was and how painful. But yet through it all she's come to experience the life of God and she knows gratefulness now and she in a sense shares this story. She says to people as she blogs, to those who haven't been able to have children. She says, some of you aren't mothers, and it's not, it's not by choice. Sometimes the reasons are medical. 
Sometimes it has to do with your personal mission or a career or a ministry that you feel like God has called you to, and yet you miss this. Some of you are not mothers because of severe damage in your life or in the life of your family. There are some, she talks about, who go through abuse or experience debilitating depression or addiction or some other illness or, or the condition of your soul has required most of your time and energy for the sake of healing and restoration. And all this got in the way of having children. Some of you are not mothers despite every effort you could make. You try to become pregnant. You finalize even an adoption, yet those plans had been thwarted at every turn and it never made it possible for you to become a mom. She writes, whatever your reason for being childless, please know this. I love this message. You are indeed a source of life to the world. You possess the ability to nurture others. And if you free yourself to do so, you will be amazed at how fertile you actually are. She writes at a personal retreat a few years ago, I had this experience where I was surprised to receive as I was praying this image of myself as pregnant with God. And she said it was really kind of an interesting experience. And she thought, wasn't that the privilege reserved for Mary? You know, the mother of Jesus. But then as she continued to pray, she said, no, the incarnation changes everything. Divine life merged with human life. And now every person has the ability to birth God, to bring the divine to life in the life of others. And I love these words. She says, do you understand that you are always pregnant? That constantly life is churning and growing within you. Your specific character and history and situation and giftedness from God in a way unlike any other expression or manifestation. God waits to reside in the womb that is your life. Holy love and grace ripens inside you. And when the time is right, will be born and flourish in this lonely, needy world. God is forming always his life in you to be spilled out into the life of someone else. Everyone here can be pregnant in the sense with his life to give life to others. There are many ways you can do so. Just this last Friday, we had a funeral for Karen Borsma. Some of you remember Karen in our church. And Karen would kind of usually sit over here and she'd wheel down in her wheelchair over here. Many at uh, the church... Recall, she died just about a month ago on March 9th at her Golden Valley home. She was 65 years of age. Listen to her obituary. They write, she never knew a life without limitations. Yet Karen Morsman didn't let adversity diminish her hope to make a difference for personal care attendants and disabled Minnesotans. Over her lifetime, she became, and some of you know her, a headstrong disability rights activist testifying at the state capitol and fighting fraudulent personal care agencies. Born January 4th, 1947, with cerebral palsy, Borsma lived most of her life from the seat of a wheelchair, becoming the first poster child of United Cerebral Palsy in 1954. She was adopted and raised by Bernice Borsma of Robinson. I'll catch this. A single mother who cared for Karen and her adopted sister, Jeanette, and more than 250 foster children over her lifetime. I just think of the fact, here is this woman who is in a wheelchair, who is birthing and and boundless with life in the things that she's done, coming from another woman who was a single mom of 250-plus foster children. 
Because Karen's mom was a mother who was pregnant with the life, not her own biological children, but with a life so fertile that she impacted some 250 other people and many scores of people beyond that. There are countless ways that we can give life at any age. I remember just this I, on, on Thursday night and Friday, so I missed the funeral for Karen, but I was, we had scheduled quite some time ago to go up and see my, my wife's Aunt Judith, who is 94 years of age. I remember we called her on her birthday a, a couple of weeks before that, and, and we said, Aunt Judith, how are you doing? And she goes, remarkably well. <laughs> so we have that all. How are you doing? Remarkably well. And I remember we went and we saw her and we spent some time with her just this last Friday. And, and as we had time with her, she was showing us around the home that she's living in. And she's almost like a chaplain to everybody. She's showing us and meeting different people. And she says, oh, wait a second before we go into her room. She goes, I want you to meet Gusty. And so we go into Gusty's room and she says, hi, Gusty, say hi. to And she enters, Gusty's 100 years old. And this incredible story, and we go from there, and as we're coming back into the room, she says to me, you know, I just understand my life is to be given for others. I mean, when are you going to quit? I mean, we're pregnant with the life of God till the day we take our last breath, if we're willing to do so. It's a lot about attitude. It's a lot about understanding the compassion and love and, and becoming grateful and understanding for all that God has given you. And so I just challenge you to think about this and say, what is my life like? Where do I take this compassion and where do I allow that to touch the lives of others around me? Think about it for a second. Is, is there someone that is around you in your life that as you pray about it and you even think about it for a moment that God is saying this person needs my compassionate love that is pregnant in you, waiting to give birth, but it could be stillborn. We can notice where God's love meets us today. That's another very practical way when you think of this message. If it is true that, that compassion goes back all the way to the idea of the womb, and the womb is that which nurtures and forms life, there are experiences that you are in right now that are nurturing and forming life. Whether you want to pay attention to them or not is whether you want to hear the Spirit and be recognizing in the sense that God's Word says that God is around you all the time at work. There are opportunities that you may feel yourself in right now. You're confined. You're imprisoned. You think you're in captivity, just like that Egypt kind of thing. If you just, you've just been praying and waiting for that career to open up. You've been, you've been hungering and your, your soul desires a companion. You maybe are in an illness or whatever it is, the confines of it. Do you know that in that place, God may be forming his life if you're open and receptive to it? And not only does he form life, he calls us back. As I said earlier, some of you are in this place and you're in a place and you know that you've been doing it on your own. You're like every one of us where you get to this, this point where you go, you know, God, thank you very much, but I can handle it. And you know that in your heart you're far from him. And God, out of his compassionate love, that maternal love, out of his guts is calling out to you and saying, please return to me. You are going to miss the blessing. What you're walking into, the choices you're making, the consequences, it will bring harm you don't see it now god's compassionate love can meet you today in the place it's forming life but also in the place it may be calling you back to life and then the last thing i just want to share with you is that we can all honor our mothers it's 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 something that we all can do today this is a very practical thing 
For some of you, it is easier than others. This whole idea of honoring mothers is a real difficult thing. I'll have people call me and I'll counsel often with people. How do I honor my mom when she was abusive or she neglected this or she did that? or she? And, and, and they give this list of things and I go, you know, it's really hard. It's really hard to show those deeper forms of love. But you know the word honor is the idea of respect. It is the lowest rung on the ladder of love. It's, it's, it's in the commandments. You see, the Ten Commandments are all the lowest rungs, the external things you can do that cause for a civilized, caring community. Think about them. They're not real tough ones in one sense. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. We're not talking about the high end of things like don't have hate in your heart and don't commit adultery in your heart. And honor is that one basic command that says, here's how you can honor your mom today. It's as simple as this. You're here because of her. Anybody here not have a mom? Anybody? You see, everyone is given life by a mother. And if it's even the lowest part, you can honor the fact that she gave you life. And it is a command to do so. And if you're living with bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart, I can tell you it will destroy your life. Now, I want to share with you, some of you have experienced great, great, great love from your mom. And whether you're 9 or 90, you can testify to that. And I've asked one of our 90-year-olds, almost 90, I'm also giving some things away I shouldn't, Paul, but Paul Berggren, if you would come and share with us how your mother impacted your life. It's always fun to hear Paul speak. He asked me before he um, was going to come up here how long he would have to speak. And I said five to seven minutes. But then again, you know, Paul is, as I said, the elder statesman, pastor emeritus. And I told him many times, like you say, how long can I minister in this congregation? I say, Paul, you're a pastor emeritus. That means you can do it. You can minister 90 to 100 years if you want. So, Paul, we are so grateful. Um, How much time do you want to give him? I'll I'll let you do it. Dinner's at two (laughs) o'clock. I won't take much long. My wife gave me the instructions. Cut it short. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, Mother's Day, you know, many things run through my mind on Mother's Day. You see, I have two blessings. First of all, I, I had a wonderful, wonderful Christian mother, and I'm glad to pay a tribute to her. But also on Mother's Day, 1942, I stepped into the pulpit of my first church, so I celebrate my ministry on Mother's Day. Uh, so it's double. But as we begin, just for, give me three or four minutes. I used to say, if you'll just put your mind into overdrive, I'll keep up with you. But be that as it may, could I read from the scriptures what God says about a mother and how he describes her? Over in Proverbs chapter 30, it said, Who can find a virtuous woman? The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She riseth early while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. 
Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in times to come. She opened her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. I had a Christian mother. I I grew up in a Christian home. It was my parents' desire that each of us would all eat breakfast together every morning. So us children, we were ready and dressed before we went to the breakfast table because we always had devotions together and we were off to school. But we would sit around that old-fashioned table and mother on one end and father on the other, the boys on one side, the girls on the other. And after we finished our meal and during that meal, it was a joyous, wonderful time together as a family. And then father would take his Bible read a few verses, and then we would all bow and pray. And one of the memories I hang on memory's wall is every morning growing up, I heard my mother and father pray for their children. But then one day something happened. Mother took terribly sick, and finally we had to rush her, or they had to take her to the hospital After examinations, the doctor said, we have to have surgery. And so she went into surgery, and everything seemed to go well. And so that evening we were rejoicing. Mother had gone through surgery. She was improving. But then early that morning, there was a blood clot, and it took her life. I was just a kid, six years old. And when they came home and told us children that your mother went to be with the Lord and she won't be coming home, I couldn't quite understand what they were talking about. Mother with the Lord, I know she was a Christian, but she wasn't ever coming home. And the day that this happened, they didn't go the night before to the funeral home and The people would come and give their sympathy. In that day, they would take the body home. And so the afternoon before the memorial service the next day, they brought mother to the home. They brought her and put her in the living room. And during that afternoon and evening, from that little community in which we lived, people, there was a stream going in and out sympathizing with my father and talking to us children. And then it came supper hour. And at the supper hour, there was nobody around. Father was busy doing something and us children. And when nobody was in the living room, I sneaked in. And as a little kid, I went over to that casket. And I stood on my tiptoes to to look in to see Mother. And then I reached up over the casket, and I wanted to pat her head, and I patted her on the face, but she didn't move. And she felt so cold. And I pulled my hand back, and I ran into Mother's kitchen and into the Mother's pantry. There's where Mother hung her pots and pans, and then over those pots and pans, she hung her dish towels to dry. And as a little kid, I crawled up underneath those dish towels. 
And I cried and I cried and I cried until there were no more tears to shed. I couldn't understand it all, but something was amputated from me. And finally I walked out of that pantry, a six-year-old boy with a broken heart, to face this big unknown world within and without mother. Then one day, Father was going to give each one of us children something from mother. But if I could pause just a moment, in the graciousness and goodness of God, there was a dear woman, my father, while he was in Bible school, he would go out and preach in a tent meeting or evangelistic meeting somewhere. And there was a dear little gal in Bible school who was a beautiful soloist, and she'd go out and sing. And the Lord brought those two together. And so one day, Father married Lily. I have two mothers, and you ought to congratulate me. (laughs) Mother and mother, both of them. And my stepmother was the most gracious, most loving, most wonderful person. And she took each of our kids. Can you imagine? When here was a woman, never married before, and when she said, I do, she had five children and had to put it all together. But I had a wonderful mother and a stepmother. But then that day when Father gave us something from Mother, he gave me Mother's Bible. And I brought the Bible with me. It's been in many, many church services I've preached from it many, many times. As I thumb through its pages, there are many verses that are underlined. Verses like, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I turn into the New Testament. There's that verse, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And again I read, watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you, like men, be strong. Oh, there were so many verses underlined, but there was something great. As I got to the back, you know, there's always some blank pages or pages that are not written on. And on that back page, there was mother had written the names of all of our children. When they were born, where they were born, the time they were born. And I looked at that back page, and there, each one of us, our names were there. I looked down, down at the bottom, because I was happened to be the, the middle one. But here was my name, Paul Walter Bergeron. Born August 22, 19... None of your business. <laughs> Born in the Congregational Parsonage in Runnels, Iowa, at 1.40 in the afternoon. Here I am, the first little boy before after the three girls. But there was more. As children, we were brought up to 
looked at scriptures at the beginning of every year and to pick a verse for your verse that year. And I wondered, did Mother do that too? You can look on mine and I've got a whole list because I grew up picking a verse every year. And sure enough, there was Mother's in the back of her Bible was her year verses. 1910, 1911, 1912, all way back. I thought, does she have a verse the year I was born? Sure enough, there was 19, you guess. And her life verse, you know what it was? Isaiah 61, verse 11. Oh, there's so many things concerning mother, but, but then I graduated from high school and I felt called to go into the ministry, and I entered college and as a free seminary student. And but there were so many discouragements. First of all, I was very small for my age, because of no mother and dad trying to hold us together. I contacted Ricketts, if anybody knows what that was, just simply undernourished, and so I was so small. In fact, I was only four foot nine, I think, when I was in high school. Just small. But uh, I finally began to grow. I got over it. But there was discouragement. And one of the hardest, when I came out of the speech class after my second class in college, the professor called me to the side. And, of course, in college, you were always Mr. And he said, Mr. Berggren, I think you ought to change your vocation because you'll never be able to speak in public. You'll run your words together. You talk like you've got mush in your mouth. So forget it. And then another professor came to me and said, you know, Mr. Bergeron, you can't pronounce simple words. Change your profession. In one of my churches, as I would be preaching, the vice president of American Brass would sit back in the center of the auditorium. And I'd be speaking. I was excited. And all of a sudden, he'd go like that. And then he'd reach into his pocket and take out his pen and he'd write something. Then he'd sit and he'd watch. Down he'd go again. Time and time again. And then after about five or six weeks, he'd take me out to lunch. And after we had lunch, he'd push back the plate. He'd take out his bulletin and he'd said, now this is the what You didn't pronounce that right. And then he would say, and you use the word, your verb so, you use the word begin. Don't ever use that word begin. It's begin, began, begun. And you get it always mixed up. So he said, forget that word, just use start. <laughs> but then on all of that there was still in the back of my mind where my my life verse for ministry was John fifteen sixteen. You have not chosen me, I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go. That was my verse. But now one semester, first semester in college, discouraged. And I bowed my head, and on my knees I said, Lord, can you still use me? If you can use me, I'm available. 
Two months later, the elders, I guess you'd call them, the people of the Methodist Church in Yale, Iowa, interviewed me. And they called me as their pastor. And so a 19-year-old freshman in in college, on Mother's Day, May the 10th, 1942, I stepped into the pulpit of my first church. You know, you see Paul in that picture, and then he and Dorothea, and we just thank Dorothea for being a mom who, um, she's over here in the backside, she doesn't like a lot of attention, but um, what a great mom who was in ministry for 70 years. That's incredible, and we're so grateful that uh, your mom believed in you. Your moms believed in you. And uh, moms, you can do incredible things. And we just wanted to take the time to say that, and then say thank you, Paul for the way that you bless us. So let me pray. Um, As prayer people will come at the end, if you would like prayer, there'll be people here to pray with you. There's chocolates for moms as you leave, and uh, Paul and Dorothea, and they have family here. We're so thrilled to have your daughter Nancy and her husband Howard from Rockford, Illinois, Um, um, their daughter Julia and her husband Martin, and then your great-grandson Archer is here as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You have blessed um, us with Paul. You have blessed Paul with incredible moms. There are moms right here, God. Their compassion and belief makes a difference. There are people here who are pregnant with your life. God, use us as you have used Paul to be a great blessing to many. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you.